0: 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be leaving 1 John for a bit after today uh, due to Christmas and due to a theme that we'll be moving into for the month of January called Preparing to Seek the Lord. So that'll be coming up. But today, so don't think, I know a lot of you think I could never make it through a book all the way, but I, I will do this. I'm really close. It's just that it won't fit with what we, where we're going. But today it fits well and I think actually introduces some things very well for Christmas. So as we've been traveling through the book of First John, even for myself uh, and as every, every student of the Bible knows, you can read this book for a lifetime and never exhaust what it has to say. You will always notice something new. You will always notice some new, uh, new truth or revealing of God. And as I've noticed through 1 John, I guess primarily this time, is that he tends to repeat himself a lot. Of course, he was very old at this time, but uh, I don't think that was it. I think it was because the Holy Spirit was having him drill down on these truths, right? Uh, and so we keep hearing things about love a lot. And uh, we keep hearing things about truth. And uh, we talk about obedience. That's what his, some of his themes are. But as we go through 1 John chapter 4, we're going to be looking specifically at verses 7 through 16 today. Verses 7 through 16, I reserve the right to go forward if I need to. But um, I'm calling it the evidences of of revelation. We were talking about evidences of regeneration, of which love is one of those, love that is derived from a heart for Christ. Now, a love that is, that is derived from the heart of Christ is going to love truth, the truth of Christ. And a, and, a, and a love of the truth of Christ is going to manifest itself in a love for the Scripture, right? Uh, Jesus, when he spoke and when he preached, often referred to the Scripture, always even confirming in himself the scripture. And then he said when those who were trying to defend him, uh, even Peter, that he must go to the cross and suffer what he had to suffer that the scriptures might be fulfilled and written in all the things concerning him. And so there is a love for God, a love for Christ, a love for scripture, a love for truth. Truth in itself emanates from God, no matter where it's found, because truth is true. (laughs) That sounds uh, redundant. But last week we talked a little bit about the importance of doctrine. And I just want to go through the first part of this list again. Sound doctrine is important because our faith is based on a specific message. It's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The truth of who he is as God incarnate. The truth of that message of him coming into the world as he was manifested. It's another word that John uses here in 1 John. He was manifested. Even in John, the gospel won and we beheld his glory. Okay? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and we beheld his glory. And so, sound doctrine then, that body of teaching that surrounds uh, our faith, is based on the specific message of who Christ is and how he revealed himself. And not only that, how it ties back to and confirms all of the Scripture. So we're bound and confined in our message to what the Scripture allows No more, no less. That's why they say we're narrow-minded and rigid. We cannot get away from the old book. God help us if we do. Secondly, sound doctrine is important because the gospel is a sacred trust, and we dare not tamper with God's communication to the world. Can you imagine? Our duty is to deliver the message, not to change it. We're not called to be CNN. Okay? (laughs) I just have to say so. We are called to relay accurate information. Actual, factual information. We don't go make it up. We see it as it is in the scripture. In its context. And you know the old saying goes. A text out of context is a pretext. So... It's important when you and I study the Word of God that we study it in its context to know what it is saying and setting forth. Lastly, and I put this in red because that means, look at that, but sound doctrine is important because we believe what we, because what we believe affects what we do. Behavior is an extension of theology. And there is a direct correlation between what we think and how we act. Now take, for example, all of the cult leaders in the past and the present. Who have a... They certainly do have a theology, a study of God. That obviously informs them to manipulate people. To take advantage in inappropriate ways those of young girls. To take things that aren't theirs and assume power that's not theirs so they can give glory to themselves that's not theirs. That's their theology. That's not a theology you listen to. And as you examine it, you quickly see that it is a theology that is not based on the entirety of the Scripture. They like to pluck things out. And so a doctrine, the doctrine of Christ then... Is what informs us to who the heart of God is. Because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And, and you get to know the triunity of God as it relates to the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When that's what we're teaching this week in K for T. If you want to come as adults, you can sit in the class. Okay? <laughs> Behavior is an extension of theology. And there's a direct correlation between what we think and how we act. Now you think about that real good. A. You know what the Bible says. But you don't care because you want what you want so bad it doesn't matter. Right? Or B. You really don't know what the Bible says. So you're not really sure... That what you're doing is wrong. You may have some red flags, but you're not informed, right? But your doctrine is going to be in your life. No matter how, what you think. By the way, I'm just going to say this. Whether you are a member of Northridge or just an attender or you're just passing through. If you ever attend a church and the preacher or any Sunday school teacher should say, As as a manner or a banner, a theme of that church that doctrine divides, you need to leave that church. Okay, You need to leave it quickly, like a vapor. Leave a vapor trail as you get out of there, because it does matter. So I want to open this up then, before we get into our text in 1 John, let me begin by saying that Jesus is God's final word to man. Jesus is God's final word to man. You don't have to worry about missing anything new. And back in John's day, especially as he's writing 1 John, there were all these Gnostics saying they had special revelation and they only knew this and they only knew that. And if you didn't have their knowledge, you'd miss something. Jesus is, is God's final word to man. Hebrews chapter 1, one of my first, most favorite passages. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God who at various times and in various ways spoke. Now notice that word spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. Of course, we can read the prophets in the whole of the Old Testament and all the things that they had to say. Now notice this, has in these last days spoken. So we have a a spoke, open-ended, right? Still more to come. Spoken, closed, final. Yeah, you know, uh, mom sometimes, I have spoken. Now she doesn't say that, but I'm I'm saying she kind of does without using those words. All moms have that. You know, I have spoken. You know, and and my dad used to say, Don't ever ask me why. So I didn't. (laughs) I didn't ask why. (laughs) But God has spoken to us by his son. He's spoken, he's declared it. Now, notice next whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself, Jesus, purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now let's go back just real quick. I just have to add this. Notice how it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. How much, how much room does that leave you to help out? None. No, it doesn't. He himself did it. Purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, because you can't just call him a mere angel, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Because God has spoken by his Son. It's a magnificent treasure trove of hope and encouragement and confidence, and promise. Man, this is like hope on fire right here. I have an old guy that I read. Everybody I read is old, pretty much, except for Kevin D. Young. He's the youngest guy I I have in my library, and he's gray-headed. But the words has spoken. Now, this is from Herschel Hobbes. He has a commentary on Hebrews. And uh, Herschel Hobbes is an amazing uh, Baptist uh, theologian of yesteryear, as they used to say. Uh, But as he writes in his commentary, he wrote, the words has spoken is the verb from the verb laleo in Greek and is a form of an aorist indicative form. So it's a past tense with a final outcome, okay? In contrast to the participle used in verse 1 where it said, has spoke, right? God has spoken times past. And then has spoken. In contrast to that, it means a final, complete speaking. In essence, the writer of Hebrews has contrasted partial speaking in verse 1 with the word spoke with complete speaking in verse 2 with the word spoken. God spoke to the fathers. In the latter, he spoke to us. Spoken. That's why, <laughs> that's why whenever someone knocks on your door with little plates on their shirts or maybe a bag full of material, and they say, we have another message from you. No, you don't, because God has spoken. That's our confidence, how we know. Also, Hobbes goes on to write, while the Greek verbs for speaking, laleo, are different, one cannot fail to see a kinship in thought in the opening verses of Hebrews and those in John's gospel, where Christ is presented as the logos. He is the open, spoken manifestation of God to men. The Word became flesh. Amen. Can you get that as best you can? Okay? God's, uh, God's partial speaking through the prophets evolved into His final, complete speaking through the Lagos. Jesus, with us. Now, Merry Christmas. Imagine that. Because that's what we have in the advent of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world. The living word breathed out, taken on flesh in Jesus Christ. Colossians talks about how he holds all things by the word of his power. And in him all things consist. And while the Holy Spirit continues to lead into a greater understanding of the Son. God has spoken completely and finally in him. There is no moving the landmark of antiquity from before the foundation of the world that God himself has laid down. If it's not in the book, it won't be took. Okay, that's how we need to think about it. <laughs> you just know. And, and, and it bothers them. It, it bothered the false teachers in John's day, and it bothers them today. It bothers the secularists of the world because we will not back up from that divine revealed word. So now we go into 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Do you see that? There's that theme again. Where does love come from? God. True love comes from God. Perverse love comes from beneath. Okay. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. It doesn't say everyone who has a loving heart is of God. It says everyone who loves God is born of God. Okay, knows God. He, does, he who does not love does not know God and God is love. So we're talking about love that emanates from God. You have to understand there's, there's two kinds of love that you'll be hit with today. There's that love which emanates from the throne room of God through Christ uh, and articulated through the Holy Spirit, okay, that is true love that which we, that flows from the Spirit of God through us to others in truth. But then there's that perverse, false love. You know, that whole thing that says all of is equal is a lie from the pit. Okay, it's not. Uh, lust is not love. Passion is not love. Love divorced from truth is not love. True love, emphasis on true, has to come from God. And not, now notice this, and I love this. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Manif- I love the word manifested. It's from like manifold. Now, some, I'm going to tell you something that's under your feet right now that most of you don't know is there. I wish I had my, I could walk because I'm strapped here. But underneath your feet are a million tiny little tubes. In the cement, okay, and and back in the day, and a late one night, under lights, we out here before we poured the footing to the original building, which starts right, right around there. Where Elle and Sherry, are uh, we put in this tubing for uh, uh, what radiant in-floor heating? Lots and lots of tubes. Remember that, Kim? Okay, and. Uh, <laughs> And it goes over here to this closet. And, and they all spring up. Lots of tubes sticking up. And you go back you think, what are all these tubes for? Well, the idea was that uh, we would put a manifold on it. And we would inject warm water through it and heat the building. It's still a sound idea, I think. I think it's a very sound idea. It would really just, we would have a giant brick of heat up under you right now. Never have used it. We should do that. Anyway... But, the, but it needs a manifold to fill it, to feed it. A manifold, it hooks into all those little pipes. That one manifold connects it all. Because in that one manifold, one main input. And then a whole lot of outputs, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. The manifest presence of Jesus coming into us and then, whoosh, out it goes manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Now, if you're questioning how you should live life, let me, let me answer the question. You live through Him. If you're trying to live life with, without going through Jesus, you're going to clunk like a square tire. Okay? <laughs> you live through him and this is love and john says not that we love god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins a big fat word that means to satisfy to assuage beloved if god so loved us we also ought to love one another and if if you're from the south you'd say and if god so loved us oughtn't we to love one another oughtn't we We oughtn't to. I like this. The emphasis here is fourfold. This is what we see in the text. The word manifested, or the word love, manifested, sent. Okay? Love, manifested, sent, or what we have here, The love of God was manifested in sending Jesus to satisfy. That's where the propitiation comes in. The offense as a result of our sins. So let me do it again. Do you see how it's all in the text there? The love of of God was manifested in Christ in sending Jesus to satisfy or propitiate the offense of our sins as the offense as a result of our sins. That's why he came. That's why he did that. Again. Perfect setup for Christmas. When you think about Christmas, you need to not be bought off by all the glitz and the glam and the twinkling little lights. Amen. You need to think of the manifest presence of the divine logos of God. That is hope on fire. That is why we sing these songs For Christmas, this is why Christmas is a big deal. The coming of this blessed love, this glorious manifestation, this obvious sending, because the shepherds are out there going, Whoa, what a show! I don't know whether to run or shout. As such is the case when God shows up. And, it, and Jesus satisfied that sin debt for us who believe. I mean, what a gift. Now, there's more. I'm going to read to you from another very old fellow, because no one's named Octavius anymore. It could go eight ways. But um, some of you are like, well. Okay, sorry. He was named Octavius Winslow because he was eight of eight kids. So, okay, that's why. He has a book called Personal Declension and Revival of Religion. He writes this, Love, too, is the great influential principle of the gospel. Think about it, the great influential principle of the gospel. The religion of Jesus is preeminently a religion of motive. It excludes every compulsory principle. It arrays before the mind certain great and powerful motives with which it enlists the understanding, the will, and the affections in the active service of Christ. Now, you know what he's saying there? A bunch, because he's big thought. They don't think like this anymore. Everything you do in the service to Jesus is built on a powerful doctrine of the revelation of God in Christ. Now, you may not realize it, But it does enlist everything you have to do. Now, the law of Christianity is not the law of coercion. That's cults use coercion. They have to. They have nothing else. They have to use something. Now, the law of Christianity is not the law of coercion, but of love. This is the grand lever, the great influential motive. The love of Christ constrains us. This was the Apostles' declaration and His governing motive. And the constraining love of Christ is to be the governing motive, the influential principle of every believer. Why do you do what you do for Jesus? In the end, why? Because you love Him. Apart from the constraining influence of Christ's love in the heart, there cannot possibly be a willing prompt, and holy obedience to his commandments. When we don't obey Christ in those moments when we're tottering, it's because we're not loving him. We're loving us. We, we struggle with sin sometimes in the way of being bound up by it because we choose it literally we aren't loving christ first we're loving us first we're loving our desires first and then praise god if we're truly born again and we're saved the love of god will constrain us into himself and compel us to repent of that and show us the truth of it and then we will be made right and restored into right relationship that's how you know you're born again not that if you never sin again because i hadn't met one of those yet okay But when you return, restored, if you don't return, you're not his. So we go on. Jesus is the advent of God's perfect love. In Ephesians chapter 2, it writes, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. That's just a big fat Pauline sentence right there, right? even when we were dead in trespasses, not looking around, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved by grace and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Now notice the emphasis here all is in Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness. Now notice, you, you'll miss this part if you're, if you're just, don't don't go out there somewhere. That he might show Jesus might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. That the Father might show that in us through Christ. That's what he wants to do. You were meant to shine. If you know Jesus, you were meant to shine. You were meant to have what is known as the effulgence. (laughs) To quote another old word, you are to emanate the light of God through your life. Why do you think the devil tries so hard to keep us down? Why are we hard pressed? Hmm? Why? You know, why why is it a struggle sometimes to maintain joy? Logically, we know nothing's really changed. It's just just it's just a spiritual battle and you're in it. It's just that and It's just that you you were meant to shine and the devil doesn't want you to. And it's just that he doesn't want you saying anything to anybody that he's got. And it's just that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he's going to grow you closer to him while he turns your frown upside down. That's why. Don't you just love the scripture? Don't you just love it? Does it not just make your heart want to leap out and run around the building? That'd be weird. John 3. Here's a famous one we all, we all love. For God so loved the world that he gave. That he gave. He loved that much that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. The love of God. How measureless. And full. incomprehensible big I don't have enough words descriptors to describe what you possess if you're a child of the living God well lastly Romans 5 8 but God here's another big word demonstrates his own love toward us he demonstrated it and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us You know, Rennie and I are moving into this new mode of called uh, grandparenthood. And I demonstrate, she demonstrates, we effuse, (laughs) reveal, great love to that little guy back there. And he can smile and just put us into orbit. Okay? And when he starts actually looking and comprehending and lighting up when we walk in, because he knows it's us, it's going to be even greater orbit. Okay, But we demonstrate our love for Him by going to and toward Him. And God does so much more of that to us. And when we cry out to Him, Father, You know. You know. He knows. And First John, getting into the last of these passages... In verses 12 through 16, no one has seen God at any time. Now, I find it strange that John would just say this. It seems rather out of place. Like we're we're talking about God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, and then suddenly, no one's seen God at any time. Okay, why? Well, because you can't, you'll die. (laughs) But, But let's read what he says. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as a Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Do you see how it kind of is the same message again? But he starts out with no one has seen God at any time, and yet you're claiming to love God and you haven't seen him. Well, how do you know you've seen him? Because there's a proof. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory. I think we should probably begin to accept that in our world today and in Christendom today we need to start letting lost people be lost that we're trying to convince are saved. Okay? Again, this isn't a gospel of perfectionism. The only perfection we have is in Jesus. But you will not help your loved friend, your beloved child or parent if you're trying out of your love for them to convince them they're saved when they're lost, if there's no fruit, no repentance, no contrition, no light, then preach the gospel to them. Love them the most by telling them the best. Be honest. Deal with what you have. We haven't seen God because it blows my mind. You say, well, Moses said he talked to God face to face, anthropomorphism, because even the Bible declares it, and God himself declares that no one can look up on him and live. He doesn't really have a face. He has, I don't know what he's got, but it's, he, that's what he's got. He's got a lot of it, too. It's like a total a uh, uh, plasma ray, I don't know. but I, thank you. That's what we call it holiness. But Moses were, was permitted to live. That's why he shined like that. He was shining. But we love him, even though we haven't seen him, but we, but we know him, right? And we know he exists. I was talking to me another day in my garage. And young guys hearing the gospel with them. And I said, I know Jesus. He, he's alive. He's right here right now. And they were like,
1: <laughs>
0: I said, Oh, I know what you're thinking. But he he came back to life. And then it's like they got it. Now I said, Now you deal with that. You came back to life. You could do super things too. He's alive now, and I know him, and I I see him, but not yet. (laughs) Okay. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. He's okay. We're not finished. We're we're not what we're gonna be, but we sure aren't what we were. And, and that's why I say sometimes you just need to let the lost people be lost that you love so much. Because if you, if you are what you were, you ain't, as they say. You need to speak Oklahoma to understand that. Okay, but if you're claiming to be Jesus and you're still what you were before, if you're claiming to be Jesus after that, if you're claiming to know him after, if you're the same as you were and you still claim to know Christ, you ain't. Jesus doesn't save you and leave you the same. There's edges being taken off. Brother Rich Henry will go down in history, and my book is one of the only men that has ever endured with me, and as he likes to put it, my rough edges. He basically called me a chunk of coal for a long time. Okay. And so I'm hopeful that uh, uh, I will... Maybe he can describe me as more refined, okay? Not just lumpy and bumpy and black. So, but we know this abiding love. I I think you understand what the scripture is saying. We believe him, we trust him, and we testify to that, to others. That's our job. How do you testify? Well, you go and you get a soapbox. They don't make those anymore. You get a bucket and uh, you stand on the corner, and you start with your Bible, and you, and you testify. Some people do that. I, I don't really do that. JT, you ever done that? No. I caught him there. But we testify by how we live, okay? You're different. We testify by our speech. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth except what is good and edifying to the, to the hearer. Stop cussing if you do. And and your motives for what you do. Let it be so distinctly different from the world that they know there's something about you and it's about God probably. They're what they're guessing. So some more words from Octavius Winslow. Why is he named Octavius? Okay, you'll know that from now on. With this new and spiritual revelation... Everything we've just said here in 1 John, this manifest of of Jesus, with this new and spiritual revelation, we look for a new and spiritual motive and we find it in the single but comprehensive word, love. And thus our Lord declared it, if you love me, keep my commandments. What's one of the chief ways you can determine if you're loving Jesus? Keep his commandments. If a man love me, Jesus said, he will keep my words, and he who loves me not keeps not my sayings. It is then only where this love is shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Spirit that we may expect to find the fruit of obedience. Swayed by this divine principle, the believer labors not for life, not for life, but for from it you you don't do what you do to be saved you do what you do because you are okay not for acceptance to gain god's favor but from but from from it because you you have it you have that acceptance a holy self-denying cross-bearing life is not the drudgery of a slave but the filial loving obedience of a child. It springs from love to the person and gratitude for the work of Jesus and is the blessed effect of the spirit of adoption in the heart. Powerful, big thoughts from a man back in the 1800s. You should get the book and read it. It'll take you, but... It's really good. We have this and we're going into Christmas, right? Now, when you look at that tree, we have trees and the lights and the red plants that really aren't indigenous to anywhere in the U.S. And and we have all of these things. I want you to think about the fact of what that little baby held inside of himself. All of God there. And they lived, and He served, and He pointed, and He taught, and He died, and then He lived again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what we have. To appropriate this, I think we have to begin to ask ourselves a hard question. If I say I love Jesus, does it show by a seeking heart? Do I desire His Word? Am I nourished by it? Does he speak to me in it? Do I define my life by it? Is he the measure of my identity? Does this love overcome me? It's easy for us to drift from this. In a moment, it can happen, not from being saved, but drifting from that closeness. It doesn't take long for the fire to go out in my shed, that the cool doesn't come right back. So I stoke the fire, and the heat is back on. This love relationship that we have with Jesus is reciprocal. We are told to pursue that. To walk worthy of it. To let our conduct reflect it. In so doing, when we do, this is declaring the message of Christmas, the advent of Jesus. Don't get lost behind the name Christ Mass. The advent of Jesus coming into the world. And with it, manifest hope on fire. I'll close with this and I'll be done. I was listening to uh, Catholic radio this week. You're like, why? (laughs) I know what you're... I'm curious, that's all. And uh, this caller called in. And they have, I guess, Ask the Priest or something. And uh, it's AM. So that's how far gone I am. I listen to AM. But... The, the, the kid called in, and he goes, I'm in, with RCA, not the TV people. I think it's something with Catholic, Catholicism. But he wanted to know, he, he said, I became a Catholic so I could live a more moral life, and I was really turned on by values. But then I became intrigued with this notion that you can maybe have eternal life. And I'm like, do say, <laughs> okay? And uh, he goes, so I was just wondering, is there anything you can give me that kind of points me that there really is such a thing as eternal life and hope for it? Now, if, if you're a, a Baptist or a Protestant of any flavor with any credibility with the Bible, you're like, yeah, I can tell you, right? And the priest said, well, we could go to the Bible, but we can start with philosophy. And he begins to talk about Aristotle and he begins to talk about Plato. And he begins to talk about how there's differences in the way the, brain, the, the brains of animals, whales, namely, and, and dolphins. And I listened for probably 10 minutes. He never got to Scripture. And I thought to myself, that young man is looking for hope bigger than him. And you gave him a dead philosophy. And you're a priest. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And should anyone crack a hole in your vessel, all should come out as light. Is that not good? JT, today, let's just spend some time in prayer asking the Lord if we reflect that love that He's given us. If we're manifestly showing that love. If if you're here and you don't know Jesus, you know what you have to do. You need to repent of your sins. Fall on Christ and give Him your life and live. Live. Declare Him as Lord of your life. Ask Him to forgive you. And give Him what He deserves, which is your life. And He'll give you His life. As J.T. plays, just for a moment, do business with God.